Section 5 of The New York Gardener. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The New York Gardener by P. Agricola. Section 5. April Continued. The orchard will also, at this season, claim a share of your attention. As soon as the frost is quite out of the ground, the buds will begin to swell. Then, without delay, cut your scions for grafting. Select them from smooth, healthy, full-bearing trees. They should be shoots of the last summer's growth and taken from the lateral or horizontal branches. If you cut a small piece of the older wood with the scion, so much the better. Tie them in small bunches and place them with the large end down, halfway in the earth, and cover them with straw to prevent drying. If you bring grafts from any considerable distance, pack them in light earth and enclose them in moss or damp straw. The best time for putting in grafts is usually the last of this month, or the first of next, according to the season. Watch the progress of vegetation in the stocks you intend to graft. Mark when their buds are swelled, so as to be nearly ready to burst into leaf. This is the time for the operation, and if skillfully performed, you may expect the greatest success. When you would change the fruit of an old tree, be sure to graft on smooth, healthy branches, and as near the trunk as possible. In order to perform this operation neatly, you must be provided with a strong knife and fine handsaw for cutting off the heads of the stalks, with a grafting chisel, which may be made of wood, and a sharp penknife for shaping the grafts and smoothing the stalks for their reception. You should also make ready, several days beforehand, a quantity of grafting clay, prepared in this manner. Take two parts of good loam, free from stones, and one part of fresh cow dung. Mix them well together with a hoe, and add a handful or two of fine salt, to prevent cracking or drying too fast. Work this well together, and add as much water as will make the hole into mortar, and several times before you want it for use, rework it and effectually incorporate it together, for the more and oftener it is worked over, the better. I have tried various methods of grafting, and recommend to your notice that which is commonly called cleft grafting, as being quite simple and easily learned. When the proper season has come, and you are suitably prepared with all things necessary, Begin the operation in this manner. First, with your knife, cut off the head of the stock, or if the stock is large, use the fine saw. This done, fix upon a smooth part, just below where headed, and on the opposite side to that, cut away part of the stock about an inch and a half in a sloping manner upward, so that the crown of the stock may not be more than half an inch broad, which slope and crown cut smooth and neat. Then prepare your grafts in the following manner. 
cut them four or five inches long with two or three buds to each. Then take your sharpest knife and cut away the bark and some of the wood at the large end of the graft in a sloping manner about an inch in length on opposite sides, making it have a wedge-like shape, but let that edge which is to be placed outwards in the stocks be left thicker than the other with the bark continued thereon. The graft being prepared, take your strong knife or chisel and place it on the middle of the stock, not across, but contrary-wise to the sloped part, and with a small mallet strike the knife or chisel into the stock, observing to cleave it no farther than is necessary to admit the graft freely. Then place the wedge a little way into the cleft at the sloped part of the stock to keep it open for the reception of the graft, which directly introduce into the cleft on the top of the stock at the back of the slope, inserting it with great exactness as far as it is cut, with the thickest edge outward, and so that the ride may meet exactly, every way, with that of the stock. The graft being placed, remove the wedge, take care not to displace the scion. This done, clay the hole over an inch thick on every side, closing it effectually and tapering it up to the scion to prevent the air, sun, or rain reaching the grafted part until the union is complete. Then finish the operation by applying a bandage of rags or coarse tow to prevent cracking and falling off. Your shrubbery and orchard having received their due attention, be ready to move the soil in your garden but do not let a desire to have early fruit induce you to work the ground while wet, especially if the soil is of a loamy or clayey quality. Nor should you delay the business until it binds and becomes hard. A middle course is best. As soon as the earth works freely and neither shines or adheres to the spade, spread all over the surface a coat of well-rotted manure, and immediately introduce the plough. Take small furrows into which rake the dung every bout and plough as deeply as possible. The corners and those parts where the plough cannot come must be carefully turned up with the spade and made fine, for the more minutely the soil is pulverized and the constituent parts mixed and blended together, the greater will be your success. Before planting every kind of seed, let this indispensable operation be nicely executed, for it is much easier and better to till the ground before seeding than afterwards. When your land is well prepared, the seeds not only germinate more freely, but the plants are more luxuriant and less liable to be injured by insects. It is quite a mistake and slovenly practice to plant before the ground is in good order well mixed and fine, with a view of mending the tillage afterwards. No subsequent labor can make up for this neglect, for vegetables, like animals, require careful nursing in their infancy, or they never will grow large and flourish. Keeping these primary principles always in view, proceed now to make your garden, and unless prevented by bad weather or some other untoward circumstances, let it be done in the following order. Dress and propagate perennial plants. 
horseradish. This is a valuable plant and merits much more attention than is usually given to it. In some families the roots are much esteemed, and upon every table the tops are prized as an early and pleasant green. As soon as the frost is gone it shoots up, and in a few days it is fit for cutting. The flower stalks are the first that rise. When these are five or six inches above the ground, cut them smooth off, with all the leaves that accompany them, and in a few days fresh fine leaves will spring up. These in their turn should be cut close and smooth to the ground, and in this way a successional crop of fine pot herbs may be had all summer. Remember to cut them off while young, and of a suitable size for boiling, although they may not be wanted for use, or they will soon grow too large and become bitter. The best way of propagating this plant is by cuttings of the roots, or from the offsets that rise from the sides of the main root. Select a border of your garden where the plow will not interfere, and having broke up the ground, the depth of the spade, plant these sets in rows about two feet apart. Then level the ground and keep it free from weeds until the plants are so far advanced as to do that business for themselves. At this season of the year they will always require one dressing and spading about the roots. When the roots are wanted, take care to leave some of the offsets remaining, and they will grow anew and flourish for many years. Asparagus you will do well to plant out immediately a bed of this fine vegetable, for it will be three years from the time of planting before you can cut any considerable quantity for use. A few of the strongest shoots may perhaps be taken the second year, but it must be done with a sparing hand. The ground intended for an asparagus bed should be situated so as to enjoy the full benefit of the sun and should have a bountiful supply of manure, and then be regularly trenched two spades deep, and the dung buried equally in each trench, a foot below the surface. This done, lay over the bed several inches of well-rotted manure, and work the ground over again one spade deep, carefully mixing this top dressing with the earth. A bed four feet wide and thirty long will yield a supply of this article sufficient for your family. In planting, stretch your line along the bed eight inches from the edge. Then with a spade, cut out a small drill close to the line, about six inches deep. Here, place your plants, ten or twelve inches apart in the rows, and two or three inches below the surface of the ground. Draw the earth with your hand against the roots so as to fix the plants in their proper place. This done, in the same manner, plant three other rows in the bed at equal distances. When the plants make their appearance above the ground, hoe them with care, and by no means permit weeds or any other things to grow near them. This is the quickest mode of raising a productive bed of asparagus. But Mr. Armstrong says, if you can postpone the use of this bed for a year or two, sowing is to be preferred, because the crop it gives, other things being equal, though later in coming is more abundant, of better quality, and of longer duration. And he directs the bed to be made in the following manner. 
in the summer or autumn preceding your sowing lay out the bed four feet wide marking the angles by stakes excavate the bed to the depth of twenty-six inches and if you find the bottom cold and clay and retentive of moisture sink it half a foot deeper lay on this six inches of coarse gravel or stones or both and on these place a layer of equal depth of tanner's bark or chips brushwood weeds horns hoofs or any other slowly decomposing matter vegetable or animal over this spread another layer composed of cow dung mixed to the depth of twelve inches and on the top of all replace the surface soil you have thrown out adding to it as much well-rotted dung as will entirely fill up the excavation. Then rake it level and remove the poor soil thrown out in the trenching. As early in the spring as the temperature of the weather and the state of the ground will permit, dig the bed ten or twelve inches deep and work into it as much well-rotted dung as will bring it to the level of the alley then rake it smooth and trace out with the spade or the hoe four small trenches lengthwise of the bed and at equal distances about an inch deep and in these sow fresh large and well-ripened seed and so sparsely that when the plants rise they will not be found nearer together in the rows than fourteen inches Draw an inch of mold over the seeds, and then roll or tread the rows so as to press the seeds and the earth everywhere into contact. When the young plants have got a few inches above the ground, if they stand too thick or within ten inches of each other, thin out the weakest of them, and take care that the remainder are not stifled with weeds. Every spring, as soon as the frost is gone, Work the ground between the rows with a strong dung fork and carefully loosen the whole bed to a moderate depth, but take care not to go so deep as to wound the top of the plants now on their way coming up. The shoots are fit for use when about three or four inches high and should be cut off slanting three or four inches within the ground, taking care not to wound any young buds coming up from the same root for there are always several shoots advancing in different stages of growth. Upon good ground, a considerable crop of asparagus may be raised without this extraordinary labor. But the abundance which a well-prepared bed will produce for ten or more years largely compensates the expense of cultivation. The Rhubarb or Pie Plant At this season of the year, there is nothing more pleasant and physicians tell us there is nothing more healthy than a frequent use of thrifty green vegetables. And as variety alone can please, this plant should have a place in every kitchen garden. The majesty and beauty of the rhubarb is not surpassed by any tenant of the garden. When planted upon rich ground, the leaves are often two feet long, and as much in breadth, and their footstalks half a yard long and nearly an inch in diameter. The flower stalks sometimes grow five or six feet high and are terminated by thick, close spikes of white flowers. Every part of this plant is valuable. The wide-spreading leaves make a fine pot herb. Their footstalks, a good pie or tart, 
and the roots a useful medicine. The footstalks are dressed by paring off the rind with a sharp knife, then cutting them into small pieces and stewing with sugar, like gooseberries. When the roots have three or four years' growth, some of them may be taken up for use. This should be done in the autumn, when the leaves and stalks are quite decayed. When taken up, wash them clean, trim off all the small branches, and lay them in an airy place to dry for four or five days, then rasp off the outward skin, which greatly obstructs the quickness of drying. The mere stripping off the bark will not be sufficient. The rasping it off and the lacerating of the outward part of the root will be necessary, for the lateral pores must be opened to permit the confined watery fluid to exude freely. Then cut them in slices, which string on pack thread, so as not to touch, and hang them up in a stove room to be kept constantly warm till they are effectually dry. The drying of the roots without suffering them to get moldy is an essential point and is considered a difficult task. The marks of the goodness of rhubarb are the liveliness of its color when cut, its being firm and solid, but not flinty or hard, its being easily pulverable and appearing when powdered of a bright yellow color. On being chewed, it's imparting to the spittle a deep saffron tinge and not proving slimy or mucilaginous in the mouth. The ground for this plant should be good and prepared by deep spading and pulverization. The seed should be sown in the spring as early as possible, in hills two feet apart each way. When the young plants appear, keep them free from weeds, and for several weeks of their infancy protect them from the scorching rays of the sun. They will then become more hardy. Or, what some think less trouble, sow the seed in beds, and the spring following transplant the roots into such borders or places as you may wish to have them stand. In moving these roots, take care not to break or injure them. Let them be immediately replaced in the earth, and many of them will bear seed the same year, and will grow stronger and better for ten years. Hops. Every farmer's family has occasion for a few pounds of hops, and you should assign them a place in your garden. A few hills properly attended to will supply your kitchen with this necessary article. This plant will grow upon almost any soil, but unless the land is fine and rich it will produce but little. Hops should stand in hills six or eight feet apart. For making these hills, dig round holes two or three feet in diameter and a foot in depth. Fill up these with the earth thrown out, well mixed with rotted dung. In the spring, when the plants begin to shoot, take cuttings from branches which grow from the main root. If of the last year's growth, the better, and these are known by their white appearance. Let each have three or four buds. Bury them lightly in the hills with the buds uppermost. Give two or three sets to a pole and three poles to a hill. The first year the vines will not require poles, but the ground in this, as in all succeeding years, should be kept free from weeds. 
as the vines rise let them twist themselves together and let the hills be raised a little around the plants early in the spring of the second year and annually afterwards the ground should be dug around the hills and some old manure mixed with the soil then with an iron bar make deep holes and set three poles to every hill set them so as to form a triangle with one point towards the prevailing wind and incline them so that they nearly meet at the top holes of ten feet long are enough for the first year after that they are to be fifteen or twenty feet long according to the strength of the ground but they should never be so long that the vines cannot go beyond the tops for they seldom bear much before they get to the ends of the poles the spring ploughing and spading of your garden performed and the perennial plants dressed out let all things rest here for a few days let the loosened earth have time to dry and imbibe the genial rays of the sun and it will then work more freely and will not be so liable to bake and become hard afterwards when your seeds are planted or if the weather has become tolerably mild first plant out such cabbages beets carrots turnips parsnips and etc as you intend for seed the first should be planted in rows three feet apart and about half that distance from each other in the rows up to their heads in the earth the rest may all be planted in separate rows two feet asunder at the distance of twelve inches root from root the holes to receive them should be made sufficiently deep to admit the entire root with the crown at least six inches below the surface of the ground press the earth firmly around the roots with the hand and cover an inch or two of loose soil over the tops but the cavity in which they are placed must not be filled until the plants vegetate and their seed stalks have risen above the ground then draw the adjoining earth around their stems as they progress this will give them effectual support against the winds or rain and save the necessity of stakes and cords i am and etc p agricola end of section 5 recording by arnold banner mount vernon maine